0: Uh, today is not um, anything but just kind of sort of a continuation of kind of the D-Now messages because they've been heavy on my heart um, just listening to them over the past couple days. Uh, it's been talking about being uni- united or unified or together, unified as a family, unified uh, in a world without Christ. Lots of titles that I had during the messages this um, this weekend, but I, I, I was, I've had something on my mind and I didn't really know how it fit with... Uh, Everything else is going on, but it just somebody mentioned it to me the other day, and it has just stuck with me ever since. And today I'm going to talk to you about the story, and you've heard this story before. It's going to be found in Luke chapter 5, where uh, these friends lower this man down to Jesus so he can be healed. Uh, you've probably heard that story before, but today I want to talk to you about being unified as believers, being the people that are key in your life, the people that are very important to you, um, the people that really are just above and beyond just being like friends you know sometimes you have superficial kind of friends that are just they hang around you or whatever but they only like the good parts of you You know what I'm saying you know those people and then you got real friends that when you're in your worst condition when you got the flu they'll still come over and give you soup you know what I mean like like those kind of people you know what I'm talking about there's a big difference one of the things that I remember distinctly is being in high school and I did not like high school if I'm perfectly honest with you I, I didn't like high school at all um, I, I I just I, I felt like the friends that I had re- weren't really friends you see the thing about high school is once you get out of high school you recognize this that uh, those people are kind of forced to be around you every day so you are kind of kind of sort of forced to be friends with people but once you get out of high school and you get into college you go into the workforce or whatever if if you don't like people or they don't like you then you just don't go around them so you don't ever see them anymore so in high school you're forced to be around those people you get out of high school and it's like pfft, yeah I and then, and then 10 years later, they're like, hey, you remember me from high school? And I go, mm, no, no, I don't, sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I look, that's not just because I didn't like people. It's because I just am very poor with remembering people from high school. They're like, hey, you remember me? We went to school together. And I go, yeah, no, I really don't. I mean, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. Of course, I'm like, hey, what's going on? you doing okay? And I'm like, hugging them. And I'm like, you know. But I really, I'm terrible at remembering people from high school. I don't know why that's a mental block. I can remember every movie, uh, you know, every quote from every movie during the 80s and every song lyric from every song sang during the 80s. But I cannot remember people's faces and names that I went to high school with. So I don't know what that is about me or what that says about me. Uh, Maybe I'm not a people person. Maybe you're looking at your pastor who's not a people person. I don't know. But anyway, so I wasn't really a big fan of high school. Um. And, and then as I, you know, I went through college and I had, I had friends, but these are friends that I really enjoyed being around and they were pretty close to me and they, they were the kind of people that always had your back kind of thing. Um, but then as I got older and got more mature, I think um, I recognized the people who were really instrumental in my life, the people that, that really mattered the most, the people that, that when you call on them, like they'll drive you crazy uh, by them trying to help you, you know. I've got some people in my life, like you say, hey, I need help with this, they're like, I'll be there ten minutes. Let's go. I'm like, hang on. I'm not ready yet. I mean, like, I'm not ready to work yet. And they're like, no, nope, let's go. I'm, I'm with you. And they're like, like, what do we need to do? Like, I Like, put you on my shoulders. What do we need to do? We'll get this done. You know what I mean? Like, I love people that are that are like that. I mean, they're so tight with you. They're like, I'll do whatever you need. You need me to lay down in front of a truck and just lift it off of? Yeah, I got it, man. No problem. I'm, I'm with you. Um, and and, and 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 there's also some people in my life that that uh, I, I got, I got. You know, it's important as Christians. You need a small group, okay? And I'm not. This is not a plug for our small groups that we have uh, on the first and third Sunday nights at (laughs) five thirty. But you need a small group in your life, and and when I say a small group, it's not just first and third Sundays at five thirty. It's people that you hang out with. I got I got a group of people that I hang out with. I got people that, that group of people I hang out with just about every week. And we sit and sometimes we talk about things that are happening in the church and sometimes we talk about things that are happening everywhere else. You know what I mean? Like uh, a lot of times it will steer back to a biblical discussion about something that's been on our hearts and minds, but sometimes it's just about everything. But, but, you know, that's okay for a small group to be that way. See, the idea behind the small groups that we have on the first and third Sundays at 530 that I'm not giving a plug for, the idea behind that is out of that small group, you will have a small group that there will be people that you will connect with out of that small group, and you'll go off and you'll just like hang out at each other's house and talk about Jesus. I I was told one time that, that, you know, we don't have enough events for the the adults in the church. We just don't have enough events for them. Why don't we make an announcement that we're going to have everybody come over and drink coffee and have a Bible study? I said, you know what? You don't need my permission to do that. You can have friends come over to your house and talk about Jesus and drink coffee anytime you want to. It doesn't have to be sanctioned by the church. It doesn't have to be an announcement. It doesn't have to be on a billboard or a bulletin board or anything. You can just, believe it or not, you can just have people over to your house and just talk about Jesus. Let me go, let me go way out on the limb here. So We're going to Winter Jam. We've got a a ton of kids that are coming with us to Winter Jam. If you're not going to Winter Jam you want to go with us, be here at 1.30, you can go to Winter Jam. Okay, Uh, Just make sure your mom and daddy know where you are. Uh, But anyway, so I'm going to go way out on a limb here and go, you know what, it is even possible for a group of five friends to get together and say, you know what, we're just going to go to Winter Jam together. We're going to put $15 in our pocket, and we're going, and we're going to Winter Jam, and we're just going to hang out, and we're going to worship Jesus. And it don't even have to be a church thing. It can just be a Jesus thing. You need people around you. I need people around me that are just about Jesus and they're about being with me and about talking about things that that matter to me. I got this one particular friend. He's a friend at work, and I talk about him all the time. His name's Michael, and he knows I talk about him. He's totally cool with me talking about him. There are times he knows I get stressed out, right? So I don't know if you know this. I got a few things on my plate these days, so I get stressed out every now and then. So I'll just go over and I'll start talking to Michael and he'll say, hey man, how are you? And I'll say, oh man, you don't know. I got this due and, and this, like, this big project going on over here and my boss is driving me crazy telling me this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no. And he, he's the only person that worked, by the way, that calls me Kenny. Everybody else calls me Ken. Uh, and So anyway, he, he, no. He says, no. How are you? And he gets that serious look on his face. You know those friends that got that serious look and you're like, Oh. It's one of those conversations. And I you know, a lot of times I get tears in my eyes and I go, Well, not too well if I'm being honest with you. And he says, well, Come on, we're going to McDonald's, we're gonna get ice cream Sunday, you know? And that's what he and I do. I mean I, I like calorie wise it's not such a good idea, but it, it it's 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 helpful in my mental state for whatever to eat ice cream sundays, you know. They're only ninety nine cents at McDonalds, by the way. That is <laughs> I mean, God sanctioned ice cream Sundays. I can tell because they're 99 cents. Um, But anyway, so we'll go and we'll sit down and we'll talk about stuff. And I'll tell him, man, you know, this is what's going on. And I'll say, you won't believe this letter I got from somebody in the church that told me about the abuse that they went through as a kid and how awful and terrible it was and how God rescued them out of that. And it's just like heavy on me. And uh, you need somebody like that in your life. If you don't have somebody like that in your life, You need to look around your life and see where that person is because I promise you're you're there. Uh, They're they're there in your life. If you would just pause for a minute and seek God and say, God, where is that person in my life? I promise it that you'll find that person in your life. He had kind of a similar revelation about me, if you will. Um, His pastor was talking about, you need to find the six men that will carry your coffin one day. And you think about that. You think about the six people that are going to carry your coffin, those are usually people that are pretty tight to you. Unless you don't have a lot of close friends and then they've got to just find somebody, you know. Every one of us needs people, six people that are close to us that will one day carry our coffin. You know, that if you died tomorrow, they would be the ones that say, you know what, I'll be the one to carry your coffin. And he looked at it and he said, he said, he said, my pastor said that we need to find those six, six people in our lives and those six men for me and he just looked at me. He didn't have to say anything. You know, guys, we don't like to get all sappy or whatever, so he just looked at me. And I said, I get it. I get it. You need to find those people in your life that you can just be as honest as honest can be. And you need to find that friend, and you need to find that small group, and you need to, you need to embrace that. Because that is really... That's the purest picture of the unity of Christ right there. When people say, you know, I'm putting down all my guards and saying, I'm tired of pretending. We're just, we're just me and you. We're just going to be us. I mean, that, that's, that's what really matters. You talk about being unified as, as a body of Christ, man. If you've got those people in your life, imagine if we had like six people over here and six people over here, here and six people over there and they're all unified and they come in here and then we all get unified because they're unified and it's like, man, imagine what we could do for the kingdom of God. Imagine how God could use us if we had those people we could lean into so when things got difficult we lean into them. And then we take the gospel out from our lives because we've got people that we can lean into and they can remind us of the love of Christ and we can just continue to do what God's called us to do because we've got people pouring into us. You know, it's called discipleship. I don't want to put a big churchy word around it, but it, it's... you like Everybody thinks discipleship is you pouring into somebody else. Sitting down at Starbucks or wherever you go and and open up your Bibles and you got a notepad and a pen and then you tell them what the gospel is or you tell them this particular passage out of the Bible and you tell them what it means and then they go okay and then they take notes down and then they take a sip of coffee that's not what discipleship is it's people getting together as Christians and talking about the things of God and talking about the work of God in their lives that's what discipleship is you may not have perfect theology I've sat down with some people and, and like they've corrected me on some stuff and I've corrected them on some stuff like why do we, why do you think that? I don't think that's right, and you need to have people these people that I'm talking about in your small group, small group that you can talk to about this stuff, and they you know they bounce stuff at you and you go, "I don't think that's right and here's why I don't think that's right, and then you say something and they aren't afraid to tell you they think that's wrong, and then you work it out together. It's almost like God intended for it for it to be that way as iron sharpens iron that we're supposed to get sharper together, you know these these close friendships, these close relationships, it just, I was thinking about that you know, over the past few days as I've been thinking about this message about these guys that they carried this, this dude, and I just want to read it to you today. Uh, I don't think this is going to be long. I don't know. It may be hour, hour and a half minimum. You know, Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. I'm kidding, right? I know Joey will leave in 30 minutes, so it's fine. Kidding, Joey. I love you, man. In Luke chapter 5 beginning verse 17 it says this one day while Jesus was teaching some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby it seemed like these men showed up from every village in Galilee and Judea as well as from Jerusalem and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus we, we know uh, based on the other gospel accounts that he's in a place called Capernaum Capernaum which is on the the north tip of the Galilean Sea and He's up there, and he, the indication is from the other gospel accounts that he's just come out of the, the, the garrisons where, where the guy was like in the tombs and he was all naked and like he, he, you know he was possessed by demons. So we know that Jesus took the demons and cast them out of that man and into a herd of pigs, and that's the reason it smells like swine in this place this morning. See, that's one of those jokes where I was like, I was expecting that to be a big ha, 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 ha. But if I were to fall off the stage and land on my face, that's when y'all would laugh a lot. So I cooked bacon this morning, and I reek of bacon, by the way. I don't know if that's a cologne scent, but, man, it smells strong. So anyway, so I had to say that about the swine because we were cooking bacon this morning. But, um, so Jesus has just come from there, and he's in Capernaum, and, and, uh, and, and he's there, and there's these Pharisees. We know What we know about the Pharisees? We know that they're a bunch of religious jerks, right? That's basically what we know about them. They're, you know, in, in the biblical terms, they're turds, right? So, so here's what's going on. It's like they're there, they're always following Jesus around, they're always trying to pick apart what he says and always trying to figure out what this guy's all about. Now understand, not all the Pharisees are bad. There are some that truly believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, you know, there's some that come to him at night and say, okay, hey, look, there's obviously something going on with you. Um, can, you can you tell me what's going on? This one Pharisee named Nicodemus. is where we get John 3.16 from. It's where he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee not all of them are bad, but most of them are, and they're mostly trying to pick apart Jesus and trying to, who is this guy, you know? This guy, I mean, he, he can't be really who he says he is, and so they're constantly following him around. It says they're, they're, they're everywhere, it seems like, when he's ever he's teaching. And then it says in verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside of Jesus but couldn't reach him because of the crowd so they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus do you have people that would carry you to Jesus like this are there people and, and I, I believe this believe this about these men because it seems like they're incredibly motivated, does it not? It's not just like they go, oh, we're going to take our friend to Jesus and he's going to heal him maybe and we'll see what happens, you know? Or are we going to, we've heard about this Jesus guy, we're just going to listen to his teaching and see what happens. Maybe if he goes through the crowd and lays some hands on people, maybe we'll throw our buddy up there. It's not like that. These men are so motivated, as a matter of fact, that they're like, Searching around for a place to get him into Jesus and they, they can't find a place so they they take some roof tiles off and They're just lowering him down to Jesus I think if, if I were to extrapolate a little bit here, and I don't want to shout where the Bible's largely silent But I want to say this I think that these men are extremely motivated to get him to Jesus So much so that I would even be surprised if this man was not the one that says I need you to take me to Jesus But these guys looked at that guy and said we need to take him to Jesus that's how motivated they are to get him to Jesus. Oh man. this is where it kind of gets heavy, right? So there's a couple of things about that. Do you have enough Jesus-loving friends around you and in your life that if you've got a friend in your friend group, maybe, maybe you've got this little circle of friends and you've got somebody on the outside and you see them over there, and you see where they are, and you see they really, really need Jesus. Are you, in your little circle, your small group, are you strong enough to go and say, you know what, let's go take him to Jesus? Are you strong enough in your faith to say, you know what, he or she's not there. We need to come as brothers and sisters in Christ and we need to go we need to do everything we can to show them that what they need most is Jesus. Do you have those people in your life? You need some strong Jesus-believing people in your life, people that really have genuine faith in Jesus and really really believe in the power of Jesus Christ. Because I think that these men looked at their friend and said, you know what? Our friend is paralyzed. And if you're paralyzed in those days, most of the time you were just relegated to being a beggar. That's all you could really do is just ask for money because you really couldn't do anything to earn a living. A lot of times paralyzed people just laid on a mat and just waited for people to give them stuff. And it says that that these guys are his friends. So that says something to me too. So these are are people that have faith because obviously they they care about this guy who's a paralytic who's just laying around and possibly even just a beggar all day long and, and they're like, you know what, but that's still our friend. We need to be friends with some people who don't look like us or act like us or maybe they don't even love Jesus like us. We say, you know what? We can be a light to that person. We can be somebody that pours into that person. Us and our little friend group, even if that means we've got to go and pick him up and carry him, he, he may have been ashamed. He, 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 he may, he, I, I really think that the indication here is that he had some, some faith in Jesus. He really did. I think the indication here is what we see based on some things in the, in, in the, next, few past, in the next few sentences that we, we see they had faith in Jesus. But I think it takes it's, it's more than just him having faith in Jesus. It takes those friends that had to have faith in Jesus because even if he, if he was laying there and said, this Jesus guy can heal me, I'm paralyzed, I know he can. Those other guys, if they weren't committed, they didn't have the same kind of faith, they would have just blown him off, am I right? Dude, we got to pick you up and carry you to Jesus. What are the chances that he can really heal you, anyway? I mean, I know that you think that he can, but you've been you've been paralyzed like this from birth, dude. You really think this Jesus guy is going to be worth our effort to pick you up and carry you, to take you to wherever he is? And by that way, by the way, in that day and time, there was no Uber. If they had to carry him somewhere, they had to carry him the whole way. And here you see these guys, and they they said, you know what? We need to take him to Jesus and I believe the indication is this guy thought I need to come to Jesus. But we're going to see in just a second that his need is much greater than his being paralyzed. His need is is beyond just the external. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. The, the, the word, I, I tell you all the time, the words jump out of the page at me. There are two words, actually, uh, this one particular word, their faith, those are the two words that really jump out at me, but the their part is the fact that they're talking about all of them, not just this one man who was paralyzed. It's their faith, the collective group's faith. Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I know how I think sometimes and how short-sighted I am and the way that I look at things and I know that sometimes I really screw up when it comes to, to really looking at what I need in my life and what I don't need. I, I imagine there may have been somebody in that friend group that or maybe in the group of people that were all around and they thought, Wow, that's so what we got. We brought the paralyzed guy in here, we couldn't find a way in, we took some roof tiles off, we lowered him down. And Jesus gives us this big thing about sins. Uh, We were really hoping for a big one today, Jesus, but all we got is some words about sin. That's true if he's not God. But the fact that he is God changes everything. The fact that he looks at this man and what he sees is not a paralyzed man. He sees somebody who is full of sin. He sees somebody who needs a Savior. When God sees us, you know what he sees? It doesn't matter how paralyzed you are. It doesn't matter if you can hear or you can see. You know what God looks at you and sees? He sees somebody who needs to be saved. Somebody who needs to be rescued from themselves. And he looks down at this man. He doesn't see a paralyzed man. He sees a man who is paralyzed by his sin. He looks at him and says, young man, your sins are forgiven. To everybody else around there that didn't have genuine faith, it probably was like kind of a letdown. But to that man, I believe that Imagine, if you will, looking into the face and eyes of Jesus Christ and he looks at you and says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Well, that's a stop and take a breath kind of moment, isn't it? I, I, believe, I didn't believe if nobody else in the room got it, that man got it. Because when you have a seeking heart for God, God chases after you. And we talked about this and while we are singing our worship songs. Your goodness is chasing after us, is running after us. This man had a seeking heart for God, and whether he realized that what he needed was forgiveness of his sins or not, that's exactly what Jesus brought to his front door: forgiveness of sins. Whatever you're going through in your life, whatever you have in your situation, however stressed out, no matter how bad your boss is, no matter how terrible your friends are to you. No no matter what condition your spouse may be in, your biggest need is Jesus Christ who can forgive sins. Because that's an eternal kind of healing that comes, not a temporal kind of healing that comes with just your paralysis or just your difficult situation. Jesus looks at this man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was a game changer, not just in this man's life, but it was a game changer in this man's eternity. And his friends have brought him to Jesus. And now Jesus is looking eye to eye with this man and said, your sins are forgiven. If you have never been in one of these friend groups where you have seen one of your friends come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings in the world. A lot of times we look at sharing the gospel and we look at uh, you know talking to people about our faith we look at it with dread we look at it like man that's difficult I don't think I know enough Bible verses you know like all I got is John 3:16. I don't know if I can do it and like this is what I tell people you know what the greatest the greatest testimony to the to the the saving power of Jesus Christ is your testimony to the saving power of Jesus Christ because I don't care how many v- verses you know in the Bible somebody cannot argue with you about your story You say, look, this is what I was. This is like the blind man we talked about the other day. This is what I was. This is who I am now. All I know is Jesus touched me, and this is the way I am. They can't say, no, 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 that story ain't right. That is a bad testimony because what you're telling is not true. The only way they can say that is if you're not truly transformed. If you're not truly transformed, you're not really saved. You're not really a Christian anyway. The greatest, powerful, most wonderful thing you can say to somebody is just what happened to you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never been a part of sharing the gospel or, or seeing somebody come to faith in Christ as a result of your testimony, as a result of you speaking to them about the love of Christ, man, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings in the world. I mean, I, I, I've, I've shared the gospel with people and I've seen them just fall on their face. And And, and, and by the way... <laughs> Did you see a sinner's prayer in there anywhere? Did, did somebody? Did Jesus go, well, this is what you need to do. Just repeat after me and say these words and then you'll be saved. Now he looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. It only took a seeking heart for God and that's exactly what he had and that's exactly where God met him. I, I, and I'm not saying that there's something terrible about leading somebody in a prayer to receive Christ or to make Christ their Savior or to surrender their heart and life to Christ or repent of their sins and come to Christ. I'm not saying there's something bad in leading somebody in a prayer to do that. I'm just saying that that's not what it's about. So many times now, I'll just like, somebody will come to me and they'll talk to me and they'll be in my office and like, I need to surrender my life to Christ. And I'm like, good, you should do that. I'm going to go outside now. You get down on your face before God and you talk to Him about it. I can't save you, but He can. If you'll just talk, about it, talk, it, talk to Him about it, I promise you He will. If you come with him, to Him in humility and recognize who you are as a sinner and you repent of your sins and turn towards Jesus Christ, He will hear your prayer. I don't care what words you say. I don't care if you don't say any words at all. He will hear your prayer. Talking to somebody and then coming to faith in Christ, the joy that you feel which is not why you do it, but the joy, the overflowing joy of that situation, is second only to your own salvation. I mean, I, I'm speaking from experience. It's talking to somebody who's who's homeless or on crack or whatever. I mean, like you talk to them, talk about the joy that comes through salvation. When you see their surrender, their heart and life to Jesus Christ, you're like, man, you just want to run around the block, you know. And these men brought their friend, lowered him down to Jesus. And Jesus looked at this man in the eyes and said, your sins are forgiven. We could stop right there, couldn't we? It, it, it don't get any better than that. I mean, like, even if the dude was paralyzed and Jesus looked at him and said, your, your sins are forgiven, and we just stopped right there and we sang a few songs and went home, like, like that's good enough. Like, that, that's, that's, that's enough, man. Am I right? I'm right, aren't I? Well, why is that never enough for us? Well, Jesus, you saved me, you rescued me, but I got this situation in my life and you can't let me down here. What? He's already not let you down. He's already not let you down because he rescued you from your sins, he saved you from yourself, and now you've got an eternity with him. He ain't got to do nothing else. There ain't nothing else he's got to prove. There ain't nothing else he's got to fix. I'm not saying you can't come to Jesus and ask him about things that you got going on in your life because you are supposed to approach every situation with prayer and supplication and bring it to him. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I, what I'm saying is you're, you're, your faith shouldn't be hung up in the answer. If he completely ignores you, if he completely disregards everything you have to say, then he is still worthy of your praise. He's still worthy of you just crying out to him and say, God, you are amazingly good because you rescued me. Because of what you did on the cross, the finished work of the cross, because of that, nothing else really matters. You've already answered my biggest prayer and my biggest need. But so many times in our life, we go, I really needed this thing to come through. This is a really hard situation in my life. And Jesus, where are you? If you ever find yourself asking that question and you're asking it to yourself because you're not asking it to Jesus, this is what the answer I want you to tell yourself. When you think, Jesus, where are you? God, where are you? Hanging on the cross for you and every evil thing you've ever done. That's where he is. That's where he is. Does anything else need to be said beyond that? forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Speaking of us, if you're ever wondering where God is in this situation, you think this. He's hanging on that cross, bleeding, beaten beyond recognition for you. That's where He is. But He's a God full of compassion. And He's a God that That cares about our needs that are beyond just our eternal needs which are our greatest need which is what he addressed first in this particular situation he actually heals this man that doesn't happen in every situation you may have a situation in your life right now and maybe a physical ailment maybe somebody that you love and maybe they're dying he doesn't heal in every situation I speak from experience That doesn't mean that he's not good because he's absolutely good. He's absolutely worthy of our praise. He's absolutely worthy of us shouting from the rooftops how good he is. There's always a but in there, isn't there? A big but. Verse 21 says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So here they are, these Pharisees, closed-minded, and all they can do is look at Jesus and say, you know what, only God can forgive sins. Why is this man forgiving sins? And you've got to understand, uh, the miracles that Jesus did, do you understand the purpose behind them, the reason Jesus did the miracles that he did and, and what the reason was? It was partly because he loves us and he has compassion on us and he sees us when we're blind and and, and, and he, he, he loves people enough and he heals them. He rescues them out of that situation. That's true. Uh, but but there there's um, many stories where there would be people that would um, come to like the pool of Bethesda, for example, and there would be tons and tons of people that would just hover around this pool waiting Uh, to be healed and, and there was only one that was healed at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus was there like what about all these other people that need healing I want you to understand this that the reason Jesus did what he did and the miracles that he performed was to testify to the fact that he was God to testify the fact that the power that he has can only come from God there's no man that can do this I don't know if you have any friends that can raise people from the dead but if you do please introduce me to them I am very interested in having some friends that can raise people from the dead. So far, I've only got one friend that can do that. And if you want to talk to me about him, I would love to introduce you to him. He did the work that he did, the miracles that he performed to reinforce the fact that he was God, to show that the power that he had could only come from one place and it had to come from God. So here these men, these Pharisees and the religious lawyers, the jerks, talking about him behind his back, and of course, because he is God, he knew what they were saying. He knew, he knew what they were thinking. He didn't, even have to, he didn't even have to hear them say it out loud. He just knew what they were thinking. So he says, I'll show you who I am. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Now, to the average witness in this situation i would say it's a lot easier to go your sins are forgiven i would say that's actually easier i would say that is a heck of a lot easier than saying stand up and walk and the dude get up and walk i would say it's a heck of a lot easier just say your sins are forgiven because can't nobody see that unless you're that dude unless you're that dude laying on the mat And Jesus has just looked at you and said, young man, your sins are forgiven. And then you go, oh, wow. I hope that you've been that person laying on the mat. I hope that at some point in your life, you've recognized who Jesus was and he spoke to you as a result of you repenting and turning towards him. He said, your sins are forgiven. Because if you have, then this passage means a whole lot more to you because you know how big that was when you could hear the voice of God pouring that out on you and recognizing that for the first time ever, you were clean. For the first time ever in your life, you were actually clean. You see, if you're on the receiving end of those words, you see just how powerful those words are because He is God. And he's challenging these Pharisees because they can't see, you know, because they can't see. All they see is what he said, and they said, that's blasphemy. You claim to be God? Only God can say those words that your sins are forgiven. And Jesus starts challenging them. He's like, and and there's another side to this too, that Jesus knows that if he says that, he's claiming to be God, and he knows how the Pharisees are going to feel about that. He knows how the large crowds are going to feel about that, as a matter of fact, He knows that he will be persecuted as a result of saying that he's God. He will either be persecuted and and killed for the fact of saying that he's God, or that he will be persecuted and killed because he is God. And we know that actually both end up being true. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said... He said, said, I'm going to prove it to you. I don't need to, but I'm going to. Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately everyone watched. The man jumped up. That's me. I'm going to jump up. I ain't going to stand up. I'm probably going to jump up. I've been paralyzed my whole life jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming we have seen amazing things today. The reality of this scripture is this. Is that these people they rejoiced because they had seen amazing things that day. They had seen a paralyzed man jump up, take his mat, and go home. That was the amazing thing that they thought that they saw. That, that was the amazing thing. And I, I think that if you were to bring somebody in here today, and you've got a friend group, and you bring somebody paralyzed in here, and I lay hands on them, and they get up, and they walk, and run out of the building, like you're going to be like, hey, I saw amazing things today. And there would probably be people screaming. This place would probably be filled up with people next week. I mean, we, we're going to have to go outside. There's going to be so many people here. But is that how you feel when somebody comes to faith in Christ and their sins are forgiven? It seems like we're too interested in the external miracles that so we don't ever recognize how powerful the internal miracles really are. We, we gloss over that so many times. We, we, we say, man, we want to see something. I want to feel something. I want it to be energized. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with rejoicing and having energy and having enthusiasm about Christ. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But man, the real energy, the real enthusiasm, the real jump for joy that we should have is seeing some humble believer coming down and saying, you know what? God, I need you. Somebody recognizing where they are in their sin and seeing where they are and the fact that they don't have Jesus Christ in their life and they come down and they become a believer in Christ by saying, God, I need you. And that's their simple prayer. And Jesus looks at them and says, your sins are forgiven. That's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to say, we have seen something wonderful today. But then beyond that, this is next level, if you will. When we come in here, we get the chance to hear from God and God speaks to us and he doesn't just speak to our external ears he speaks directly to our hearts and he reminds us of those times when we looked at into the face of Jesus and Jesus looked at us and said your sins are forgiven do you remember that time is that a reason for you to rejoice is that a reason for you to sing at the top of your lungs when we talk about God pursuing us God chasing us down His goodness running after us? Do we sing like like we remember that day? And then the other thing is this. Are we rejoicing because we have godly, close, personal friends in our life, people that are close to us, people that can call us out on our stuff, people that we can bounce Scripture off of, people that we can be close to? That is a reason to rejoice. If you don't have those people, if you don't have that group of friends if you don't have that friend group you know what you need to do this, this is a difficult thing you know what you need to do you need to try and you need to ask you need to try and you need to ask so when I say you ask you ask Christ you ask Jesus the one who knows the people around you and the people who will be the greatest influence on you and say God those people aren't around me right now and God put those people in my life and I'll be on the lookout for them when you bring them into my life Having those people in your life is critical and it is absolutely worthy of praising God for. So today, wherever you are in your heart, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the work and I'm not going to say anything else. You just listen to what God has said to you. Don't listen to what I have said. Listen to what God has said to you. Listen to the words of Jesus himself and respond to the words of Jesus and respond to how God's speaking to your heart right now. And whatever it is that is on your mind and on your heart, talk to God about it. Come and say, Lord, I just need to speak to you about this. And maybe you just need to praise him. Maybe it's been a long time since you shouted at the top of your lungs how good God is. And we sing these next songs that you just want to tear the paint off the walls. I don't care. You respond however God's calling you to respond. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Thank you so much for the testimony of these men and their faith and them bringing their friend into the arms of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we be those people. I pray that we be people that just will do whatever it takes to bring people to you. God, we'll go out of the way. We'll, we'll, we'll make it our priority. God, I pray that we would be like these men, these men that their testimony speaks to us through the ages. Lord, I pray that we would be like them. God, but beyond that, I pray that we would remember us being that man on the mat. When you looked at us and you looked inside of our hearts and he so said, I see you for who you are. I know who you are exactly. Your sins are forgiven. May we worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. Now for what you did in our lives and how you rescued us. But beyond that, Lord, there may be somebody here. And maybe they're on that mat today. Maybe they're laying there and they're, they're, just, they're begging for an answer. And they don't, they don't know exactly what they need. And, and they think that the, the needs that they have are all external. They think that what they can see is what they need. God, I pray that they would see you and look into your eyes today and Lord, you would see them in the place that they are and you would show them that what their biggest need is is they need forgiveness of their sins. And maybe they've never turned to you fully and they've never given their lives to you. God, may today be that day. Whatever the case, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in this place. I pray that we would listen to your Holy Spirit and your Holy Spirit alone. We would not be distracted. We would not be torn. God, we would just listen to you and respond to you alone. So, Lord Jesus, speak. Speak and may we respond. And you receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.